Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. We are studying Isaiah, and we're up to Isaiah chapter 42 today. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with such joy and such appreciation and such gratitude, Lord. What a privilege that we can be called by your name. What a privilege, Father, that we can be reading texts that are thousands of years old, uh, particularly this text by the prophet Isaiah, which is some 3,000 years old. Where we see, Father, that you are a God that can declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, Your plans shall stand. And we thank you, Father, that we can stand in your plans. We praise you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing and for more understanding as we study your holy word. Thank you, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. So, as I mentioned, we are up to、uh, chapter 42 now of Isaiah. And、uh, just as we get started, let me、uh, remind you to share. It's good to share. So, if you're enjoying these studies and you can think of a brother or a sister or a friend or a colleague or family member that you think they would benefit from the study as well, please、uh, share so that we can, be, we can share in this work together of getting the gospel message out. Well, we are up to、uh, Isaiah chapter 42. And what I want to do is actually begin, as I like to do, just with a little bit of context, but particularly with chapter 42, where what we see here、uh, with this text is that、um, he's going to introduce the servant of the Lord. Now, it's important that we're clear here、uh, because last week in chapter 41, verse 8, he says, But you, Israel, are my servant. 
And, and a lot of the Jews want to believe that these, um, the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesies about, they want to believe that they are collectively as a nation the suffering, the suffering servant. And that's just untrue. That is uh, so opposite to the truth. But Israel is the servant of God. And Isaiah makes that clear. And so as we go through the book of Isaiah, we need to be very sensitive to when is he speaking of the nation or the nations or the tribes of Israel as God's servant because they were elected and pressed into this professional service as the kingdom of priests. They are the priests of God or they were meant to be the priests of God. So God of of all mankind, God has selected them to be his servant. At the same time, they were a dismal failure. They were an abysmal wreck. They were just ruined. And so because of that, God himself said, okay, I will be the perfect Israelite. I will come to earth as a Jew, and I will live perfectly by the law and fulfill the terms and conditions of the law so that I can redeem my people and put them back in the role that I originally intended for them to be the priests of the earth. So Isaiah is going to toggle between Israel as servant and Jesus Christ as servant. It is going to be very obvious to us, once we understand that distinction, it's going to be very obvious to us when he's talking about Israel or Judah as his servant and when he's talking about Christ. So here in Isaiah 41 verse 8, he says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. So we need to be very, very clear about that, that um, false doctrines notwithstanding, God has chosen this tribe called Israel and the sons of Israel. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So all of this goes back to Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And because of that covenant with Abraham, which cascaded down to Isaac and then down to Israel, God is committed to Israel for his friend's sake, for the sake of his friend Abraham, with whom he made an unconditional covenant. So even though Israel broke the conditions of the covenant, he's then going to implement a new covenant with them, which they cannot break, so that he can fulfill the unconditional covenant that he made with his friend Abraham. And then in verse 9, he says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called you from the chief men thereof, and said unto you, you are my servant. So these people are taken into captivity and they will be taken into captivity and God is going to redeem them from that captivity and put them back in the role that he intended that he covenanted with uh, Abraham for. So he's called these men and these chief men are not able to withstand God like as Pharaoh was not able to withstand God through Moses. And so he's called them from the ends of the earth and called them from the chief men thereof and said unto you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. So again, false doctrine notwithstanding, don't be deceived. Don't don't allow anybody to fool you. God has chosen these people and he has the power to fulfill his word. He's not going to go back on his word. So fear you not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So says the God of the Bible, who nobody can withstand him. He does his will. And, and he says in Matthew 24, regarding his coming, don't be deceived. You're going to think, when you read it from Matthew 23, you're going to think, I have forsaken Jerusalem. But if you understand Isaiah, 
you'll understand that I have not forsaken Jerusalem. And, don't, and, and, and the narrative is going to be that God has forsaken Jerusalem. Don't be deceived and don't be dismayed. And somebody has to encourage Judah to say, your God reigns for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. In other words, God is going to put everything right and no one can withstand him. So with that as context, though, that, that, that with that as context, that Israel is the servant of God, let's now come into Isaiah chapter 42 and beginning in verse 1. He begins here, Behold my servant. Now, it's going to be abundantly clear to us, this is not a rebellious servant. This is not a servant who fails that God has to put right. This is a righteous servant from, from the get-go. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. God actually abhors Israel. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to save you, but not for your sake. I'm going to save you because of my name because my name is on you, and for my namesake I'll save you. But this servant, God's soul delights in him. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So, so, so he's going to judge righteous judgment to the Gentiles. That means destruction upon the heads of lots of Gentiles, but it also means repentance and reconciliation and, and grafting in for many Gentiles as well says here, he shall not cry nor lift up his voice. So uh, he, he's not going to cry nor lift up his voice. And it's important for us to remember here that the whole context that we're in, in Matthew, uh, in Isaiah, beginning in verse 40, is the New Testament portion of Isaiah. And it kicks off in, in chapter 40, verse 1, with this call to comfort his people that these people who have had the worst of judgments pronounced against them in chapters 1 to 39, now it takes a turn. And beginning in chapter 40, he's telling us to comfort his people, that, that the, the time of the warfare of Jerusalem is over. And now he's showing us how this is going to be accomplished, that this servant, he shall not cry, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street, a bruised reed he shall not break. So even though the, the reed is, is bruised and, and wounded, uh, he's not even going to, even though it's fragile, he's going to be so gentle that he's not going to break it. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. So it would just take a, a little bit of effort to put this smoke out or to put this fire out or this flame out, but even that he will not do. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged until he has set judgment in the earth. So this is this humble servant that's going to come into the earth. And this is what the uh, Jews did not understand. They were looking for their Messiah, but they completely missed the servant songs in Isaiah. They were looking for the Messiah, but they missed the, the prophecies regarding the humble servant, the suffering servant. And that's why when John was uh, in prison, and he was about to be beheaded. He was about to be destroyed. And he, he sends messaging his, his disciples to Christ to say, are, are you the one? Are you the, com are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the coming one? Or should we look for another? Uh, because he realizes that if you don't do something, I'm going to be killed. And then Christ sends his, his disciples back to say, tell John what you've seen. And based on what they would then reveal to John, 
John could say, ah, and go back to the prophecies in Isaiah and understand this is the suffering servant and that there's a two-part process to, to the Messiah. He has to come and put things right in order to redeem a corrupt people, and then he comes to destroy the, his people's enemies. He shall not fail nor be discouraged until he has set judgment in the earth, and the isles or the coastlands, the faraway lands, shall wait for his law. And so here we know now that this is, speaking of Christ, Categorically, we can say this because when we read the writing of Matthew in the Gospel according to Matthew, he writes that Christ charged them that they should not make him known. So he just finished this miraculous healing, and then he commands, "Don't make sure that they, you don't tell people who I am." He charged them that they should not make him home, known. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And what did Isaiah the prophet prophesy, saying? Matthew, uh, we were just here, uh, Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. So Christ is fulfilling this scripture. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So right here in Isaiah is this global vision of Christ's ministry. Even though when Christ came to earth, he only came to Israel. And yet the prophecy is clear that his ministry, the effect of his ministry is global. It's going to benefit the Gentiles as well. But we have to understand how. And here again uh, is uh, confirmation by the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 when he says, and again, Isaiah says, Isaiah is so quoted in the New Testament that we cannot neglect this book. If we master Isaiah, we're going to have a better grasp of the Bible. So here he says in Romans 15, 12, and again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. He's going to put the Gentiles in their place. As powerful as they are, he's going to rise and reign over them. In him shall the Gentiles trust. So, so this is very clear that this prophecy in Isaiah 42 is pointing to Jesus Christ. Continuing in Isaiah 42, verse 5, Thus says God, the Lord. So this is God. God is speaking. When the true God speaks, we need to pay attention because nobody can frustrate his word. This is not a God who speaks, and then he has to change his mind because he's trying to figure things out as he goes. This is not a God of abrogation. This is a God of declaration. He declares, and that's it. Once the word leaves his mouth, that's it. It's gone. It's going to do what he says. He's, not, he's, not, he's the true God. You know, a false God has to speak and then say, oh, I was wrong about that. Let me change my mind. Thus says the Lord, thus says God, so the power of God's word, Thus says God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. And we only have to read in Genesis 1, uh, down to say verse 11, where we'll see that the way that God speaks and stretches forth uh, the, the, the heavens and, and brings forth from the earth is through his word. He creates by speaking. And so that God who created the whole universe by speaking, thus says that God. Thus says the Lord. Thus says God the Lord. He, he just to be clear, the God that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, 
he that gives breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. So again, we should just read Genesis 1, that whole passage, to understand which God is speaking now. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. So again, the power of his spoken word, he's the one that's called the Messiah in righteousness. And I will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. So again, we're seeing this two-part ministry of the Messiah. First, he's going to be a covenant of the people. So this is the, the Israel. These are his people. God doesn't have a covenant with, there's no covenant with Gentiles. Gentiles have no relationship with the God of the universe. His relationship with man is through Israel. So the Gentiles have to be grafted into Israel in order to have a relationship with the true God. But Israel is, is a mess. Israel is defiled. Israel is corrupted. And so he's coming as a covenant of the people to get them right. And then once they are right, he'll be a light to the Gentiles through his people, Israel. And we'll see this now in Luke 1. In, in, in beginning in verse 69, he says that God has raised up a horn of salvation. So, so Isaiah spoke about salvation. Here Luke, as a Gentile, grafted into Israel. So now uh, an Israelite, he's writing that the horn of salvation has been raised up for us, us being Israel, in the house of his servant David. So this salvation comes through the tribe of Judah, but it's for Israel. As he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. So all of the prophets have spoken consistently about the role of Israel, the covenant people, in God's plan of salvation. And there's no contradiction. So any true prophet of God is going to be in line with this grand meta-narrative in the Bible. And so this is from, from the beginning. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So all the prophets, nothing new. They're not trying to figure this out as they go. They're all speaking consistently. That we, that is Israel, should be saved from our enemies. Israel has always had enemies. And God uses these enemies to punish Israel. But the prophets show repeatedly that God will act to save Israel from her enemies. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. There is a perpetual hatred, demon-inspired, satanically inspired hatred that the Gentile nations have for God's covenant people. And God is going to act to save them from this perpetual hatred. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So, so the covenant is with Israel. There's no covenant with Gentiles. And what he's doing as he sends the Messiah is to remember this holy covenant that he has with Abraham, that he has with Israel, that Israel broke, that he's now going to make a new covenant with who? With Israel and with Judah, to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And so here now we see Christ fulfilling this. In Matthew 26, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to his disciples and said, drink all of it, drink you all of it. Why? For this is the blood of the new covenant. This word, diatheke, uh, should be better translated covenant. For this is my blood of the new covenant. So he's coming to establish, to remember the covenant, to, and that covenant they broke. Uh, so he's now establishing the new covenant, remembering his promise to his friend Abraham. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many 
for the remission of sin. So this this blood of the new covenant has has global effect, but there's a process. And Israel has to be established first in order for the world to have a priesthood that is going to lead them into this covenant relationship with God. And so this new covenant, is very. we have to be very clear, there's no such thing as a covenant with Gentiles. No, sorry, sorry. So Gentiles, get over it. The only covenant is with Israel. And so here very clearly, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. And so that's what Christ is establishing, the new covenant, with who? With all the Gentiles? Let's read the text. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So the old covenant was with Israel and Judah. They broke that covenant. You should refer you to um, the study we did on Hebrews chapter 8. They broke that covenant, so that covenant is flawed. And now he establishes a new covenant. Because, Because Israel was such a disaster, because Judah was such a disaster, does God turn to the Gentiles and say, I'm going to now establish a new covenant with the Gentiles? God forbid. God forbid. <clears throat> he now establishes a new covenant with Israel and with Judah. Continuing in uh, Isaiah 42. So the Gentiles have to be grafted in to this covenant. Back to Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people. So the people are Israel and Judah. And he comes to establish a new covenant with Israel and Judah. But also he's to be a light of the Gentiles and to open the the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So the Gentiles are imprisoned. They're held captive by the devil and he's coming to release the Gentiles from that darkness and bring them into light. How does he do that? Let's go to Acts, Acts 26, verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? This is when Saul was struck down after violently and viciously persecuting the the Christians, the people of God. And then God struck him down. And now he's talking to the Lord. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, and to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto you. So things that he has seen firsthand, and then Christ is going to instruct him directly with other things, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles. So he's going to deliver you, deliver him from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. So Paul now is the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Christ is in heaven. His, he's the head of the church. His body is on earth, so it's the same. That's what, when, and I refer you to the study we did on the book of Acts, that showed that Luke shows the work of Christ while he was on earth, and Acts show the works of Christ when he finished his ministry on earth, went to heaven, gave the church his Holy Spirit, and the church now becomes his body, doing the parallel acts that Christ did while he was on earth with a broader scope of ministry. So he's sending Paul to the Gentiles. Paul is part of the body of Christ, unto whom I now send you. Why? He's going to quote Isaiah. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So this is just the wonderful God that he has a plan. He's he, this, this the mystery of Israel. It's the mystery of God. And so he's going to use the Gentiles to punish his people, but then he's going to raise up his people, punish the Gentiles, and in punishing the Gentiles, cause the Gentiles to repent, or the, many of them to repent, and then turn and be grafted in to this covenant of Israel. It's a very mysterious way that God is working. But here Christ was very clear that he is fulfilling and he's going to fulfill through Paul and through the church the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 42. And so here we see in Ephesians, again, just to be to really underline the fact that these Gentiles, there's no there's no relationship that God has with Gentiles. Like Luke, like many of us, he they have to repent and come into the body of Christ as a wild olive tree grafted in. So here in Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So you had nothing to do with the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. So there's no, there's no covenant with Gentiles. They're strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, are made near by the blood of Christ. So this blood of Christ is what enables Gentiles to be grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. Back to Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I am Yahweh. So his name is Yahweh. That's his name. And then he says, and my glory I will not give to another. So the glory of God, he says, I'm not going to give it to another neither my praise to graven images. So there is, this is very clearly showing us there is a conflict. There is a conflict in the earth about who the true God is. And God is declaring through Isaiah to his people, I am God. I am Yahweh. That's my name. And my glory, I'm not going to give to another. So what does that mean? His name is on Israel. Israel, the prince who prevailed with God. So these people have his name, and he is going to be glorified in them. So Yahweh, Isaiah reveals to us, is the Holy One of Israel. He's placed his name on this people, and his glory he will not give to another, neither his praise to graven images. So the conflict now that we're facing are people who want to take graven images and say that the God of the universe is the God of these graven images. And, and, and they are in conflict with Israel, the, peop, the tribes of Israel. And God is saying, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not having this. I have chosen these people. I've selected these people. I've not forsaken them. And I will be glorified in them. Yahweh is the Holy One of Israel. Look at this. In uh, Isaiah 43, it says, Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. This is a time for universal rejoicing. All the angels in heaven and the beasts in heaven are going to be rejoicing because God has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains. This is it. Finally, history comes to its conclusion. And it's a time of great rejoicing. Break forth into singing, you mountains. O forest and every tree therein. Why? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. 
and glorified himself in Israel. He will not give his glory to another. So this conflict in the end time where people, uh, a strange people, a, a, a Gentile people, a people who worship graven images, are trying to take the glory of the God of the universe and say, it's on us. God is saying, no, 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 this is confusion. I have chosen Israel. And I will, the Yahweh, the God of the universe, I will be glorified in Israel and the whole world will know. And now at the end of history, the heavens, the earth, the trees, the forests, the mountains, everything is rejoicing because now it's so clear the glory of Yahweh is in Israel. Here in chapter 49, verse 3, he says, And said unto me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So God is, God is determined despite Israel's corruption, despite Israel's failure, because he's spoken. His word has gone forth from him, and he has chosen these people. And he's going to show his faithfulness. He's going to show his power. He's going to show his ability to predict and, and, and bring to pass in Israel. So he says, you are my servant. So there's a con- like, who's, who's the servant of God? There seems to be a controversy. Some people are saying they're the servant of God, and God is saying, let me make this clear. You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Here in Isaiah 55, and we'll get to these chapters later, but I just want to bring them out so that we tie it into Isaiah 42. Behold, you shall call a nation that you don't know. So Israel's going to have the upper hand. And these Gentile nations are going to respond in obedience to Israel. And nations that knew not you shall run unto you. So on the, on the planet Earth, These people of Israel are going to be established as the head nation, and these Gentile nations are going to come to these physical people of Israel. They will run unto you, these people who have to be punished severely, driven to repentance, and then established as the head nation, and now the other nations are going to come to them. Nations that didn't know you shall run unto you. Why? Because of the Lord your God. It's going to be clear that God is in Jerusalem. God sits in Zion. We need to go there to, to hear the law of God. Nations that didn't know you shall run unto you because of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel. Over and over and over, Isaiah wants us to understand. He saw, he interacted with Yahweh. And Yahweh is the Holy One of Israel. No one else. He's glorified in Israel. For he has glorified Israel. The glory of Israel is the glory of Yahweh. And when the whole earth understands that, God is praised. Finally, here in Isaiah 60, Surely the isles or the faraway lands, the coastlands, shall wait for me. And the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your sons from far. So they have taken God's, they have taken Israel captive. Israel is now enslaved in various nations, and they're giving up, their, they're giving up the captives. There's whole worldwide global repentance, and they're bringing God's sons from far. They're bringing their silver and uh, their gold with them unto the name of the Lord your God. God is in Zion. God is in Jerusalem. Let's, let's go there. We're going to bring all this, these offerings of their wealth, They're going to bring unto the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel. This is the controversy in the end time. Whose God is God? Our message to Judah is, your God reigns. God is in Zion. 
So we have to comfort, because of this intense conflict and slaughter, we have to comfort those in Judah to say, no, your God reigns, and God will be glorified in Israel because he has glorified you. And again, we have to just remind you that the nation, the, the nation that we call Israel today is not the Israel of the Bible. These are Zionist Jews that went back to their homeland and needed to give it a name and gave it the name Israel. But this is the tribe of Judah residing in the, in the Holy Land, uh, and they called it Israel. But Israel is the grandson of Abraham, and he had 12 sons. And all the people that come from those 12 tribes, this is Israel. Judah is just one of the 12 tribes. But we can look at the earth and, and have a sense of who these other tribes are, even though the northern tribes, they were lost, but God promised to bless them and bless them abundantly. And so look around and let's find which, which nations have been blessed beyond measure to see that God fulfills his promises. He never turns back on his people turn back on their promises. He never turns back on his promises. So God will be glorified in Israel. Israel and Judah will be one and will be in the Holy Land. Back to Isaiah 42, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. So these things that God prophesied anciently, they've now come to pass. And new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is, this is uh, the God of the universe. It, it, it seems like a boastful thing to say, like, hey, I'm God, I can predict the future. But the personality of Yahweh is not arrogance. There are gods, all the pagan gods have a very arrogant personality because they're Satan inspired. And Satan is arrogant. Satan is insecure. And so he masks his insecurity with arrogance and superiority complex. Whenever God declares how great he is, the purpose for that declaration is to encourage Judah and to encourage Israel. To say to these people, look, I know you're wicked, I know you're corrupt, I know you have no reason for hope, but I'm going to give you a reason to hope. It's because I'm your God. And I am so high that no one can withstand me. And I'm telling you, I'm going to help you. This is why God declares his greatness, in order to give his people hope. Not because he's insecure. And like, if you don't praise him, he's going to burn you in hellfire forever. And whenever your skin burns off, this is if we're reading the Quran, this is the promise of Allah to, to people. If you don't praise me, if you don't acknowledge how great I am, I'm going to throw you in hell. I'm, I'm going to burn off all your skin. And when it all burns off, I'm going to replace it and burn off that skin. And then I'm going to, and this is what I'm going to do to you forever. If you don't praise me. Well, uh, it sounds a little bit insecure to me. God is not insecure. He's declaring his greatness in order to give comfort and hope to his people despite the reality that they face. To say the nations, as we saw in Isaiah 41, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. So as powerful as they seem, they're like grass that withers. They're like a flower that fades away. And, and believe this is why he's explaining this. And so we need to understand that this is the proof that Yahweh gives of his truth, of, of the, the, the reality of him being God. 
It's the fact that he can declare before things happen what will happen, and then he brings it to pass. So there are former things, and this has to do more with the judgment on Israel, that he has said, here's the covenant, if you disobey it, these are the things that are going to happen. And then he says, he's going to do new things, new things I declare. So this is now the, the, the New Testament part of Isaiah, that he's going to turn and he's going to comfort his people. So all these other things now have come to pass, chapters 1 to 39, all of that judgment, these former things have come to pass, but now God is declaring new things, that despite that these people should be utterly destroyed, they won't be. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So again, we need to be crystal clear on the role of Jerusalem in prophecy. The city Jerusalem and the, pe the physical people of Judah and the physical people of Israel, we need to be crystal clear about their role in prophecy. And here Isaiah is about Judah and Jerusalem. We need to be very clear. Why? Because if we're not, we are going to undermine the very argument that God uses to prove to the whole Gentile world and to comfort his people that he is the true God. The true God of the universe is saying, come and let's, have a, let's reason together. Let's, let's think this through. Focus on Jerusalem and look at what thousands of years ago what I said would happen to Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem. Before it happens, I'm telling you it's going to happen. And then I'm going to declare new things on top of that. So in addition to what I said is going to happen, now I'm going to tell you new things that are going to happen. And you don't have to do anything except wait and watch. And I will do these things. So be careful. Let us be careful not to undermine the very argument that God puts forth to prove that he is God. To prove that in all this controversy of who's the true God, let us be careful not to undermine God's own argument to say, I am God. He says here, uh, and we'll remember last week we read, same thing. Let them, the Gentiles, bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Show us your prophecies in detail. Let them show the former things what they be. So bring us your scriptures and show us that you had actually predicted in detail things that would happen, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. So we want to see your scriptures and we want us to see what you, as, as your God says, let's see what you say will happen in the future and let us just watch, sit back and see if your God can do these things because the God of the Bible can. And this is what he says. Let's, let's, let's go toe-to-toe -to -toe here and let's, say, let's see who is the real God. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. So say you're going to do something and then do it and let us watch and see. Back to Isaiah 42. He says, sing unto the Lord a new song. This is a song of victory. So all the prophecies in Isaiah 1 to 39, these have come to pass. And now God is saying to his people, be comforted. It's time for your victory. So sing a new song as, as Moses uh, sang, led the children of Israel to sing a new song when, when uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's armies were conquered. So now sing unto the, new, uh, unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. 
Yes, that go down to the sea, you that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, again, the coastlands and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness, that, that is the desert, and the cities thereof, so the cities of the desert, lift up their voice. Interesting. The villages that Kedar does inhabit. So we need to know where is Kedar. And here we can just look at a, a Bible atlas to see where is Kedar. And you'll see here that it is west of Judah, it is east of Iraq, and it's north of Saudi Arabia. So what is the land that is west of, west of Judah, east of Iraq, and north of Arabia? Well, if we look at a map today, we can see that that land is Syria and Jordan. So these are the Moabites and the Syrians. This, this is the land of Kedar. These are neighbors of Israel, and it should be abundantly obvious to us that these are Muslims, that these are Muslim lands. And here what the Bible is showing us is that these Muslims are going to lift up their voice in praising the true God. So this whole conflict and controversy over who the true God is has ended. That the villages that Kedar does inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock, and this is a uh, people of Petra, these are Moabites, let the inhabitants of the rock sing, let them shout from the top of the mountain. So there's this wholesale conversion when God finally acts. And here we know that Kedar are Muslim, because here if we look at Genesis 25 and verse 13, what we see here in Genesis uh, 25, 13, and these are the names of the sons of Ishmael. So who are the sons of Ishmael? By their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, and Kedar, and Ab Adbil, and Mis Mibsam. So clearly we can see that uh, Kedar is one of the sons of Ishmael. <clears throat> so carrying on here. Um, oh, and so also, we just want to see here that the residue of the number of archers, the mighty men of the children of Kedar, or Kedar shall be diminished for the Lord God of Israel has spoken it. So God just keeps underlining how powerful his word is. He's spoken this. And these are going to be very mighty people as we move into this end time. These are going to be mighty people but they're going to be diminished. And I should just take a moment, uh, just to, because it's been so much in the news uh, this week, is this, um, uh, this called a caravan <laughs> getting into the US. Uh, let's call it what it is, it's an invasion, and that's being timed to coincide with the US midterm elections. But if you listen Tonight, to from the, the media, in the US, uh, these are just people who are looking for help and you know, they're just disadvantaged, and we, we certainly need to help them because, you know, their governments are corrupt, and so America must let them in. Well, this is just uh, really, really ridiculous. Uh, this is very uh, irresponsible reporting. And these are people, the, the, the Communist News Network and, and her sisters, these are people who hate America. The communists want to destroy America. And these prophecies the surrounding the Middle East uh, and surrounding Jerusalem and Judah, they cannot come to pass as long as there's a powerful America. As long as America is the superpower of the world with a Judeo-Christian Judeo ethic, these nations cannot have their way. 
And so somehow, as much as we're into the good news here of Isaiah from 40 to 66, all of that bad news in 1 to 39, it has to come to pass. And it cannot come to pass unless America falls. And Abraham Lincoln himself said, America cannot fall from the outside. It's just too powerful a nation. That the only way, and he could see this, the only way America can fall is from the inside, if it's infiltrated. And so we have irresponsible reporters and, and, and uh, politicians who hate America and who, who are globalists. And now America has this uh, leader who is a nationalist, who, has, who is a patriot, who has the best interest of his nation at heart, God bless him. But we know that this is temporary. For some reason, God is delaying the fall of America. So eventually, these uh, globalists will be successful in bringing down America. And what the Bible shows us is communists don't matter. In the end, communists are irrelevant. So their role is just to weaken the nations. And what is very relevant in the end time is Islam. And Isaiah is making it very clear that these nations that surround Judah and Jerusalem, these are the nations that, are, that, that feature large in the prophetic text. So let's uh, just continue now <clears throat> with the text. <clears throat> so we were at uh, Isaiah chapter 21 and uh, verse 17. So we have to see America has to fall in order for these mighty men to, in order for the Judeo-Christian ethic to no longer police the world and for a new ethic to take over, America has to fall. So let's just pray uh, that God puts these leaders in place and keeps them in place and his will be done. And if we need more time to get our act together, praise God. But if God is going to accelerate prophecy, praise God. In the end, we know how this all ends. So the mighty men of Kedar will be diminished, because God said so. And here in Psalm 66, that all the earth will worship God. So there's going to be controversy up until God finishes history. And then the whole earth will sing to God and praise him. He says here, Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the coastland. So again, the whole earth is going to praise God. The Lord God shall go forth as a mighty man. So this, all the strength of these Gentile nations, God himself is going to bring them down. And so this is, again, we don't have to fight for God. God is going to fight his own battles, and he's going to fight for Judah. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yes, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. So God takes this personally. The, and this is a warning to anybody who wants to fight against Judah. If you fight against Judah, you're fighting against God. So God considers you his enemy if you consider his people your enemy. So he's going to prevail against his enemies. And this, so he says he's going to go like a man of war. He's going to, yes, he's going to, he's going to roar. And this is what, exactly what Amos said, that the Lord will roar from Zion. So he's going to help his people, and he's going to roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. So the, the, the center of action, the, the spotlight in the end time, is in the Middle East. Specifically, it's Jerusalem. And that's where God is going. So Jerusalem uh, is going to be surrounded by armies. It's going to be slaughtered. And then God is going to act from Jerusalem. So, so there are prophecies 
that that um, are going to be fulfilled by Israel's neighbors, by by the land of Judah, uh, by the neighbors, that they're going to be deceived and stirred up into destroying Jerusalem. And just as they're about to be successful, Zechariah 12 shows us that that's when finally God will act. Look, look at this. Uh, look at how Satan is working. So that is what their God is, is, that's the mindset that their God is just overtaking them. They're, they're ideologically possessed with these teachings that they have to go in and completely slaughter these people. And the prophecies tell us to comfort these people and that God himself is going to come in and he's going to roar like a lion from Jerusalem. And the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn. That is, all these people are going to mourn. The top of Carmel shall wither. And this is exactly what we read in Revelation, that when Christ comes, he's coming with clouds, and the whole earth will see him. And the Jews which pierced him, they're going to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But their enemies, all the kindreds of the earth, shall wail because of him. So it's a very, very sad time for the earth when God comes even so amen back to isaiah 42 i have a long time held my peace says god i, I you know i've been patient and i've allowed i've been watching the earth situation and i haven't intervened and people have been claiming that their god is god and god is saying i've held my peace for a long time i have been still and refrained myself now will i cry like a travailing woman so now's the time for god to give birth to his wrath now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. God, God is furious with what these people have done to his people. And he's been patient, but now he's going to act. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs. And I will make the rivers islands. And I will dry up the pools. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. So the blind are his people. So they are spiritually blind, but they're going to come to repentance and he's going to bring them back despite how they have been enslaved and slaughtered and tortured and, and, and just uh, exiled by their enemies. I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. This is what God is going to do for his people. He is going to do it. And that's why he says, you know, he's going to declare new things that he's going to do and this is the proof that he is god we can there's nothing anybody can do to stop this to prevent this from happening no matter how powerful the nations are no matter how much they hate his god's people no matter how much they come in and slaughter god's people god's saying i'm going to do this these things will i do unto them and not forsake them don't be deceived god you know when they say oh god is in the, jesus has come into the desert and he's with the Mahdi, 
and he's praying in the dirt. Don't don't believe it. Don't believe it. God is the God. God is the Holy One of Israel. And when he comes, he's coming to save Israel. That is the, 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 the people of Judah, in, and specifically those in Jerusalem. These things I will do unto them, and I will not forsake them. So again, proof, and we, Isaiah's already showed us this, that the blind, he tells us who they are. And, and Christ actually quoted this when he was on earth. He says, and he said, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So these are the rebellious people of Judah. They have to be blinded so that they can be punished, but then God is saying, okay, I'm going to lift the blindness, and I'm going to lead them back to Jerusalem, and they will be established as the head nation. He, here even Ezekiel says the same thing. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see, but don't see. They have ears to hear, but they don't hear. For they are a rebellious house. This is the servant of God. The servant of God is a rebellious house, and they're blind and deaf. So this is what uh, uh, Isaiah told us in Isaiah 6. It's what Ezekiel tells us. And here Isaiah is going to repeat it again in Isaiah 48, verse 8. Yes, you heard not, you knew not. Yes, from that time your ear was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously. God knows the heart of this people. He knew they would deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. So God knows what he's dealing with, but that does not prevent him from carrying out his word, his word that he promised to his friend Abraham. Back to Isaiah 42, they, sh- they shall be turned back. This is the, 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 the Gentiles. These are the enemies of God. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images. So, so these people who say to the molten image, you are our gods. So let's understand what God is saying there. And again, this controversy that is going to be in the earth in the end time has to do with idolatry. And it has to do with who is the true God. So here, if we look at this um, uh, gotquestions.org, the progression of idolatry, let me just, uh, yeah, here we go. The progression of idolatry in a pagan religion generally starts with the acknowledgement of a power that controls natural forces. So they see some sign of a God that controls natural forces. The presence of the force is then thought to indwell an object like a stone or a place like a mountain. And so five times a day, all around the world, almost two billion people try to figure out where this stone in Mecca is and they bow down to it. That is idolatry. And and this is, quote-unquote, the fastest-growing religion. It's the fastest-growing forced ideology in the world. The next step is altering a naturally occurring object, like a standing stone, a deliberately planted tree, or a carved Asherah pole, and asking the force to indwell it. So they give some sort of animation to it. When the idolatrous culture has had time to contemplate the personality of the god, they then make a corresponding make corresponding physical images a statue that looks like a woman or a relief carving that looks like an animal so graven images are can be either of the last two steps so this stone in kaaba it not only is it a stone 
that is a graven image. It's also a molten image because they put the, you can see the shape around it, how they shape it, uh, because this is the worship of Baal and uh, Asherah. And you'll see here five times a day, Muslims prostrate towards Kaaba, which houses the black stone. The black stone is a betel, that is, it's a sacred stone, it's an idolatrous stone that the pagans used to worship, originating from pre-Islamic Arabian polytheism. So Muhammad came and he basically just took these polytheistic pagan practices and uh, syncretized them and mixed them with a bit of Judaism, a bit of um, uh, the Iranian religion, it's just the names escaping me right now, a bit of Christianity, and just made up this, this religion. It is an important part of the Hajj pilgrimage performed primarily because it is mandatory and because Muslims believe their sins will be forgiven. The pilgrims kiss the Kaaba uh, cornerstone and if they can't kiss it, they point to it. So this, all of this is what the pagans did. But I want to just um, go down here, the Beitel, to show that it's uh, uh, paganism. But here we'll just go a bit further down <clears throat> and see here this black stone in the Hadith. Here we see the Hadith that uh, the black stone came down from paradise. It was originally white, but because of the sins, it turned black. And then here it says, so in terms of giving personality to this, Im this image, by Allah, this is what the Prophet said, uh, Allah will bring forth this black stone on the Day of Judgment, and it will have two eyes with which it will see, and a tongue with which it will speak, and it will testify in favor of those who touched it in sincerity. So they're going to say, oh, we only worship Allah, we only worship Allah, but they are actually worshiping this stone. Here, Ibn Umar, he quoted the Prophet saying, touching them both, the black stone, and this Arukun uh, al-Yamani is an expiation for one's sins. So, and here even further, the black stone is the right hand of Allah Most High. So you can see this uh, graven image, this worship uh, of, of this uh, paganism. And, and we need to understand as well that Allah was the, the God. He was the chief God of the Arabians uh, in, in Mecca. And here the biblical and historical evidence shows that the Moabites, so that's the, the Jordanians today, they worshipped Baal. The pre-Islamic and Muslim sources show that A, the Meccans took over the idol Hubal from the Moabites, and that Allah and Hubal are actually identical. So Hubal was the chief god of the Arabs, and that, that's why he was called Allah, the god. Thus, whether the Meccans or, are Ishmaelites or not, the evidence is still strong and sufficient to conclude that Muhammad's Allah is actual Hubal, actually Hubal, the Baal of the Moabites, and thus not the God of the Bible. So we need to be very, very clear here that there is this controversy in the end time as to who is the true God, and the Gentile forces are coming against the people of God with quite a bit of force. And there's this controversy. And God is saying they're going to be greatly ashamed. Those that hate Judah, that persecute Judah, uh, he's going to come, he's going to roar from Jerusalem. And those that have been trusting engraven images and molten images you saw the molten image around the stone saying that these are their gods he says continuing now in isaiah uh, 42 verse 17 hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see 
<clears throat> so so he's now appealing to his people. Who is blind but my servant? And again, that, that sensitivity to when is he talking about my servant, the Messiah, the suffering servant, Christ, and when is he talking about his people? So the blind are his people. They were elected to be his servant, but they're blind. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger that I sent? So they were handpicked and chosen to be these uh, this, this priest nation to the world. Who is blind that he that is perfect or he that is uh, in covenant, who is at peace, who is brought into reconciliation with God and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you observe not. Opening the ears, excuse me, but he hears not. So this is the servant. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. So God is going to correct all of this and make his law honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. So there is going to be jihad against these people. And they are going to be robbed and plundered and spoiled. And there's going to be the, the, the booty that comes from jihad taken away from them. They are all of them snared in holes and they are hidden prison houses. They are a prey and none delivers. So this is why they have lost all hope. And Isaiah is saying, comfort my people for a spoil and none says restore. There's no hope. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for a spoil? How did this happen? That these people that God has chosen and covenanted with, who gave them over for a spoil? And Israel to the robbers. So people are going to come in and Zechariah 14 tells us this, that half the city will be taken. Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord? So it's this the, again, God is the one who's allowing this to happen. God is the one who allowed it to happen. They, it could never happen unless God allowed it to happen. And the reason God allowed it to happen is because of the covenant, that God is a God of his word. They entered into an agreement with him. He says, if you do this, I'll do this. But if you do this, then I'll do this. And they chose to do the wrong. So now God is fulfilling everything that is in, everything that happens, everything that befalls Israel, everything that befalls Judah, and especially when we go through chapters 1 to 39, we can relate it right back to Deuteronomy, word for word. God is not making up new punishments. He's simply fulfilling the terms and conditions of the covenant. Didn't the Lord do this? He against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law. So we have to understand that the, the way the world is going and as I said, America has to fall, this superpower with Judeo-Christian values. It has to fall in order for these nations to rise up and then do their will and that nobody can resist them. Nobody can stop them. Today, America could stop them like that. So they're going to do their will, but it, this is all orchestrated by God. Neither were they obedient unto his law. Therefore, it's because of this, he has poured upon Judah the fury of his anger. That's what's happening. These, that anger that you see, that hatred, that ideological possession of hatred that these people have for Judah, God is allowing Satan to do this so that the, the terms and conditions of the covenant can be fulfilled and these people can be led to a depth of repentance when they see that everything that God said would happen, that is exactly what's happened. Therefore, he has poured upon Judah the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. And it has set 
him on fire round about. Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies. Yet he didn't know. And it burned him, yet he laid it not to heart. So they just, they're blind. They have no idea what's going on. You rejected Christ, and now this is what's happening, and they don't understand. And so somebody has to bring this understanding to them. And so we'll just wrap up here as we come into, uh, we'll do this next week, but I just, not to end on a bad note, uh, here in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1, he says, But now, thus says the Lord. So even though it's, a, it's tragedy upon tragedy for these people, God is saying, I'm God. I will decide what happens. But now, thus says the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. Israel, the Holy One of Israel, says you are mine. And so despite this incredible hatred and this uh, thorough savagery to destroy these people, they cannot be destroyed. And God will be magnified and God will be glorified in his people Israel, and he'll be glorified from Jerusalem. And so that's Isaiah chapter 42. Well, we'll finish here. And uh, what, a, what a God we serve. And so, yes, uh, the world is going to be a scary place. And uh, for those of us who are, say, middle-aged or older, and we know the, the, the Western world that we grew up in, and we took it for granted, but there was, there was a beauty to it. Uh, and there was, a, you know, I, I look at how we are and how we're civil and how we're respectful. Uh, you know, of course, there's exceptions, and the, the, it, it's been decade upon decade, especially since the 60s, when the cultural Marxists got in and started to infect everything. Uh, we've been in terrible decline. But what a world that has been built upon Judeo-Christian principles. And now it's all deteriorating. And it's going to be very hard for us to watch. But I think as long as we understand, you know, we can't be like Judah, who have no idea what's going on. Through the Holy Spirit, we have to read these scriptures and understand very clearly what God is doing and be the ones who are sound-minded and, and fearless and able to say to the cities of Judah and specifically to Jerusalem, behold your God, Jesus Christ, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah.